Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Welcome to Buckets. My name's Matt Moore. I'm the senior NBA writer for the Action Network. Join my colleague, NBA Futures analyst, back from a refreshing vacation to the North Dakota, South, somewhere in the Dakota. I'm just going to say Badlands. You're not in the Badlands, but no. anytime anyone thinks about Dakotas, we just, that's what the rest of us think is the Badlands. Uh, Brandon Anderson. Brandon, how you doing? I'm doing well. It was North Dakota, and uh, you're right, not the Badlands. More, more like the Goodlands, maybe. I don't know. We are only a couple of months away from NBA. We're doing our offseason stuff. Preseason will be here soon. The summer break for me is, is pretty much over. Today is day one of the new everything off and running and ready to dig in. Nice. So today we're going to dive into how to bet most improved player. We've been doing this series uh, throughout the podcast. We haven't catched the previous episodes because they've been really great. We've dug into all sorts of cool stuff on how to bet certain angles. The bit, the thing that we're finding is kind of the most helpful is we dive into we're going to give you picks. Don't worry. Those are coming at the end of the show. Things to bet right now. But it's more about getting you set for understanding this award, who wins this award historically, how the voters think of it, and then how to bet throughout the year as well, how to understand what the timing is and when you need to be looking for opportunities to get these types of bets. So love this series, having a lot of fun with it. If you want to learn more about it, make sure to check out the award-winning Action Network app. That's the best way. For you to track your picks and get up to the second information and where the bets and money are coming in. We've got our new media center where you can catch a version of this podcast, as well as videos and other podcasts, including uh, if college football is starting a little bit before with the NFL, check out Big Bets on Campus. Phenomenal podcast. Just an incredible podcast. Stucky, Colin, Brett McMurphy, the G5 guys, like so many great contributors on that channel, getting you everything that you need to know for college football and betting it. It's absolutely awesome. Go listen to that right now, as well as all the great podcasts across the Action Network. All right. No more dilly-dally. No more lollygagging. Brandon, let's get into uh, most improved player. So as we are, we typically do when we do these, we're going to start off with some rules that we've established. And this time, you have your rules, and then I have, like, an (laughs) augmentary set of rules as well. So... Uh, we will dive into that as well as all sorts of stuff more. Let's go ahead and get started with what you think the rules are historically for what yeah. we've seen for most improved player. Yeah. And for this one, I think it's important to establish what history exactly we're talking about. And for me, I'm going with, it's exactly one decade of history. Yep. Uh, you and I have talked about this, that this award has changed a lot from what it used to be. It used to be, you know, the Bobby Simmons of the world. Uh, who is that guy? That's not the award anymore. So before we do the awards, I want to just read off. Here are the last 
10 winners for most improved player, starting with 2013 up through most recent. So 2013, Paul George, Goran Dragic, Jimmy Butler, CJ McCollum, Giannis Antetokounmpo, Victor Oladipo, Pascal Siakam, Brandon Ingram, Julius Randle, and then, of course, John Morant last year, one that we had on this Buckets podcast one year ago right now. So I think it's important to hear those names because that's the caliber of, like, it, it may be hard to remember what did that player look like before the jump, but we all know all those 10 guys. You don't have to think twice about them. So who are rules? I've got four rules for most improved. First rule, the numbers matter, especially the points. All of my rules here have to do with just those 10 guys. All 10 of those most improved players improved in points and rebounds and assists per game with two tiny exceptions. John Morant last year and Dragic, when he won, both did not go up in assists per game, just by about one. But basically, they're improving everywhere. Here's the numbers jump if you average them out. The year before most improved, these guys average about 14.5 points a game, five boards, 3.5 assists. The year they won, that 14.5 jumps to 21 points a game. So nearly a 50% boost, six rebounds instead of five, four and a half assists instead of three and a half. For me, rebounds and assists, not really the focus here. That's kind of just a jump in playing time for the most part. It's all about the points. It's always all about the points, right? So almost a 50% boost. Eight of our 10 winners scored at least 20 points a game. Every one of them scored at least 17 points a game. And I will note that uh, typically until the most recent three years, the last three years, these guys are jumping from 18, 19, 20 points a game to like superstar status. Previously, it was more like 12 to 17 points a game. So I'm sure we'll talk about this as we go, but is the award still evolving? And how do we adjust for that? We'll, We'll get there. But Basically, we need the points, we need the numbers, and we're probably looking for something in like 13 to 16 points a game range last year, ideally, that we think can get into the mid-20s here. Yeah, I mean, look, this is this has been known that, that scoring is always going to be the primary indicator of team success and basketball success. And honestly, I don't have a complaint with that, even though not being a score-first kind of analyst, I don't have a problem with that because the point of the entire game of basketball is to put the little ball inside the <laughs> circle with the net thingy. Uh, I have I'm going to talk about in a little bit how we get to that jump in your points. But let's go ahead and lay out rule number two, because I think it's really important. Okay, we need a player who is young and early in their career, but not too young. So here's what that means for those 10 winners for those guys were in their age 22 season. I'm going with age listed on basketball reference for what their age season counts as. That's as of January 1st is how they define that. Okay. So four were age 22, four other winners were age 24, 25. So that's eight of the 10 are in that 22 to 25 age range. The two outliers was Julius Randall age 26, Goran Dragic 27. So even them not, not super deep into their careers. Average age for a winner is age 24 season. So another thing to note too, seven of those 10 guys won it in either year three or year four of their career. So again, the outlier is there, Dragic and Randall, of course, and then Oladipo is year five. No sophomores. We did not have a sophomore winner at any point over the last decade. In fact, the last sophomore winner was Monte Ellis, 2007. 
And then Gilbert Arenas is the only other sophomore since like the early 90s that has won it. So this is is really important to note. So when we go through these rules, I do want to note this is not we call them rules, right? Because it's basically what we're talking about is if we're trying to find a candidate, what is it based off of history? This doesn't mean that this year there couldn't be a 28 year old that wins it. There could be. It would take a lot of weird things happening that we can't really give you any sort of predictive bet for. Um, and it doesn't mean that, you know, like it's like, oh, 22 to 25. OK, if he's oh, no, he's gonna be 26 on January 1st. He's out. No, that's not like not how this works. But it's like general guidelines in this. The sophomore thing is so crucially important. Yeah. And the reason that it's important is there is an ingrained expectation from the voters that from your rookie season to your second season, you should get better, that you should be improved from year one to year two. And the reason I think this matters is when we're looking at all of the candidates, I would note this. Kate Cunningham, one, two, three, four, five, seventh shortest odds at FanDuel at plus 2100. Um, Scotty Barnes is 12th at plus 3,300 and so on and so forth. A lot of the guys on this list on the actual available betting options, Jalen Green is on there, are sophomores. We're here to tell you that a bet on a sophomore is not worth making given the history of how this award has been voted for and that even if they made the jump that was twice as much as what previous winners have made. They are not going to be considered a most improved necessarily candidate. They'll be talked about and there'll be some discussion of it, but they're fighting an uphill battle against historically what has been a bias against them. Right. It's going to be one of those like first take segments, like in March where it's like, Oh, should Cade Cunningham be considered for most improved? Right. But it's it's a one of those rhetorical conversations where it's like, well, no, but he can't really be. We knew sophomores have to get better, and he will, you know, he's the number one pick, and of course he was going to get better. So it, it's one of those things. Although I will note here one weird trend that for me personally, just as a fan of the league, this is a little bit unsettling. Three of our last five most improved players were former number two draft picks, like not second round. Number two overall in the draft, it makes sense to me, a fan, that sophomores shouldn't win. It makes sense that young guys should be getting better and we shouldn't just reward the natural thing yet. Mm -hmm. It doesn't make sense to me that we're like, hey, remember when out of the entire world of basketball prospects, we decided you were the second best one. You're good now. Let's give you an award for it. But we don't get to bet on what makes sense. We get to bet on what actually happens. So I think it's important to note it. So of the last seven winners since Jimmy Butler won it in 2015, of the last seven winners, only one has been a draft pick lower than 15. Wow. So and that was Giannis, of all people. (laughs) Um, CJ McCollum, 10th. Giannis, 15th. Oladipo, 2nd. Siakam, 27th. That was your outlier. Ingram second, Randall seventh, Morant second. So in that, we have one, two, three, four, five of the last seven have been top 10 picks. Hmm. We can talk about, we can talk about, you know, like like I said, we're not going to talk about like what should be because that's who cares. Like we're trying to make money here. 
Um, I think the best way to describe this, and we're going to talk about this a lot with the production side too, is I, my feeling is that there has been what is referred to in video game terms as power creep, where you make adjustments mm. to characters or weapons and you make a little bit of adjustment to make something more powerful. And that offsets the balance. You have to make another adjustment to make something else more more powerful. Mm. And what we're seeing here is, well, Victor Oladipo was second. Okay, so that opens the door to like a second overall pick mm-hmm. being a potential candidate. Um, and that validates like the the idea of it. And the award has shifted from Ryan Anderson in 2012, valuable role player that makes a big leap and goes from being like an okay player to a really good player. We're now in the category, and you'll talk about this in the, in the, the final kind of rule. You have to be now of a certain caliber of yeah. player, which I would describe as a star. You have to go from a now, I think John Morant was a star of the year before. But you have to go from a a non-star to a certified star. Yeah. And that's been the jump. And you we've seen that reflected in awards voting as well, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I'm just gonna use that. Uh, that parlays perfectly into my rule three. So rule number three is you have to jump to all-star status. But I want to clarify that because we've said that on buckets for the last year. You have to jump to like solidly all-star status and probably all NBA contention. Hmm. So here's the numbers on this. Our last 10 guys. Remember, these are all star names. You heard the names. None of them had made an all-star game previously. Not one of the 10 had even made a single all-star game appearance. These are not stars already making another leap. So that is going to rule out some of our candidates. But all of them, all 10, made the all-star game the year that they won most improved. However. This, it's not just that six out of our 10 guys also made all NBA the year that they went most improved. We've got three guys made second all NBA. We had three made third team all NBA. Obviously, John Morant, it was one of those we had the conversation last year. Is John Morant too good? Can he win most improved? He's in the actual MVP conversation. And it kind of, it almost like most improved has become the consolation award for the guy who improved a lot, is almost an MVP. Oh, let's give him this other award. So six out of our 10 made all NBA. That basically makes you a top 15 player. There's 15 all NBA guys. Three of the other guys finished with votes. Like they basically, if you tallied out the votes further, they would have been a fourth NBA, fourth all NBA, and a fifth all NBA. So nine of our 10 guys got votes as effectively a top 25 player. Six of the 10 as a top 15 player. The only guy who didn't get any all NBA vote the year that he won was CJ McCollum. Hmm. So guys that this excludes, and this is really important because they're going to get every year, the first month, we're going to get a Miles Bridges. We're going to get a Jeremy Grant, a, a Christian Wood. That's the guys we've seen these last couple of years where it's like new team, new role, higher usage. The points are there. And look, we're going to talk about him as, is Jeremy Grant an all-star now? No, we're not going to talk about is Jeremy Grant an all-NBA, all-NBA. player? That There's a yeah. difference there. and so. Those are guys, there are going to be guys, and we'll talk about some that are like cash-out plays. The Jeremy Grants and Christian Woods of the world, that breakout year, they're cash-out plays. But history in the recent years has told us they're not going to actually win this award. you got to make that John Morant leap to win it. And then finally, um, winning matters too. Nine out of the last ten players to win most improved player made 
the playoffs. That's pretty straightforward. It's also really interesting because, again, the idea of this, what I think is fascinating about this award, Brandon, the idea of what this award is in the culture is not how it's been voted. Like, we still think of most improved is like, oh, did you like, you know, go from like a non, like a bad player to a good player? Did you make a big, like, he really made a leap and became like a leader of his team? Not enough. Like, you yeah. have to, like, you just mentioned all NBA top 15 players in the NBA that season. You have to get to that level and, and your team has to make the playoffs. Yeah. That's going to rule out a lot more guys on our list. A bunch of guys. But yeah, because it's almost like it doesn't matter. Okay, so you improved. Great job, Shea Gilgis-Alexander. Good job with your numbers, but they didn't matter. They're, they're, they're for a team that we don't care about, so we're not going to count your improvement. And that's another one where the Jeremy Grants and Christian Woods got dinged with their improvement years. Now, we'll say we're going to have some picks and when we get to it that are going to be probably long shots to hit these categories. Yeah. Because these aren't, again... If we look back at the history of the award of the last 10 years, because we there have been major, not just the, it has the game changed, but the voting blocks change, how the votes are, like all of this has shifted. There's more votes now with 100, et cetera. But we do have guys on this list like Ryan Anderson, um, McCollum. Drogic was pretty like an all-star that year. So that like makes sense, right? Um, but like, some of these guys weren't necessarily jumping to the level that Julius Randle and John Morant did the last two seasons. And sure. you can make two different arguments against that, which is you, you can either say, like, look, the, the award is being redefined and we're actively seeing it. Brandon Ingram, Julius Randle, John Morant are three guys that are like the best player on their team and are putting their teams on the map. Um, or you could say, like, OK, but is that predictive of where the awards are <laughs> voted next year? Maybe not. And so. Uh, you know, just as a reminder, the voters are not held to any of the things that right. we talked about here. And if they, as a consensus, arrive to a different conclusion, um, then it's possible that these rules will get broken and we'll probably lose the money in that. Case. But <laughs> yeah, it's it's that creep thing again that you're talking about mm -hmm. where it's like, oh, well, if, if John Morant, like I already thought John Morant was a star and he was the number two yeah. pick. And if he can win most improved player, well, then. Could Zion win? He was right. the number one pick, and he scored 27 a game, but he missed a year. But he's, he's back and playing now. His most improved a I'm playing basketball again award. It's the the worry is are these recent years enough of an but a bit more trend to allow me to put my vote and in, in a new direction? So you kind of gave what those those players yeah. accomplished. I dug in when we were doing prep for this this episode. I dug into okay. Because like I, I knew that we were that's where we were gonna go. How did they get there? Like how how did they go from where they were to the production that they got to, particularly on the point side? And um, I don't know if you know this, Brandon, but a very easy way for you to score more points is to shoot more. And so this was the biggest thing that I found. The average field goal attempts the prior season was eleven per game, and the median in that set of the last 10 years was 10.6. So they take around 11 shots per game. The jump was 4.8 shots per game. And that doesn't like, that's a number where you're like, okay, 4.8. Think about that. Five shots in a game is a big freaking jump. That's a huge jump. That is a massive increase in terms of field goal attempts per game. Um, I also looked at usage 
and we see a similar kind of thing here. 21.5% of their possessions were used by the player the, pre- the previous season, 26.2 in the season that they won. And so by using those standards, I found myself able to, to rule out a number of guys because if we look at this from this perspective, it's harder to go from 20, it, it's hard to go from 15 shots per game to 20 per game than it is to go from 11 to 16. That's an easier jump. It's hard, but it's easier than going from 16 to 22. Like those kind of jumps are actually more difficult. And what that helped was like finding some players, including one I already bet that we're going to talk about where I was like, oh, like he's already got like a really high bar that he's going to have to get to in order for him to actually be eligible to win this award based off of the priors that we've seen. Um, It's a pretty fascinating like separation of all these things in terms of how this has gone. Um. The differences in these things, I think, has been interesting. The minimum field goal attempts prior was 5.9, and that was CJ McCollum, who everyone kind of saw coming. The max the previous season was 15.7. That was Randall. That's the most shots any player has taken in the last 10 years before winning uh, most improved player the following season. Uh, The minimum for a player to win the award was 11.8, and that was Dragic, who obviously had the assist bump, too. Uh, Maximum was 20.6 and by bump i mean Dragic, his assist held steady but his combined impact on the game i think helped because his yeah. shots went up and even though they went they didn't he wasn't shooting as much as some of these other guys you had the impact from the assist already built in um so you have all these kind of differences between this which i think is really fascinating one final thing i'll say and this is the most important thing for betting Brandon asked me, he was like, hey, what are the actual odds on this thing? And look, the, finding the odds for these things is really hard. I'm a pretty good Googler. I, I use the Googles pretty well. And it's there's just not a lot of data out there on prior seasons. And the books are even like, yeah, we don't even have that. I asked around a little bit and they were like, yeah, we don't I don't have a record of it. Um, I, they're like, I'm sure I could dig it up somewhere. But they're like, honestly, it's not really worth our time. So no. Um to that, let's let's look at this real quickly. Uh, 2022, Jaw was 30 to one last year, and he won. Julius Randall was not even available on the boards by Sports Odds History. The numbers on him that I did find were were huge. Brandon Ingram, 2020, 40 to one. So, and then 2018, Victor Oladipo was 25 to one. So, we in the small sample, what we do have is we have an indication that the odds on winner, who we're going to talk about in this, or an odds on favorite rather. Uh, not odds on the favorite to win these awards don't tend yeah. to win. The favorites don't tend to win this award. You want to be honestly looking for somebody in the 20 to 30 range. This is an excuse for you to take shots. <laughs> now it's also probably an excuse for you to probably smatter your bets a little bit. Yeah. Like, I would say that probably attaching your wagon to one guy with this award, probably not a great approach given what we've seen. <laughs> um, And then I want to talk a little bit about when to bet this award. We talked about with Alex Christensen on some of these awards that you're always going to get the best value in preseason, and it's true. And you can decide whether or not you want to take the approach of, I'm going to hitch my wagon to one guy and let the chips fall where they may, or you can do my approach, which is, I'm going to lose some of my return, but I'm going to build a position through the year, and that's going to ensure that by playing the market, I'm going to get a positive return on these bets. I'm not going to lose money because I'm going to be able to hedge myself, even if I'm taking away my ROI. Don't do it too much. You don't want to just make nickels, but that's the <laughs> trick with the numbers. Um, my biggest advice for you in season 
is I think after the first two weeks of play, you're going to get an indication of what the storyline is setting up for the season. So jaw came out and in the first two weeks of the season, it was like, holy shit. Like jaws, like the most exciting thing in basketball, Like they beat the warriors who were right red hot. And they did, they had all these like great games. And so like jaw, like right off the bat, made was putting up the numbers and was dominating the storylines is like this is a player that's jumped on the scene same thing for julius randall brandon ingram honestly i regret us not and by us i mean me you were around then not just like hammering ingram when we saw that he had taken the jump in three-point attempts that he did because that was really always yeah. was holding him back because he wasn't taking enough threes when he started bombing that fundamentally changed his scoring profile um but let's say that you're like, well, look, I don't really trust these early season returns because Devonis Sabonis was like an MVP candidate after the first two weeks of the season. You will get around, I think it's January, you'll start to get the all-star returns. When the all-star returns hit between December and January, the first batch of those, you're going to get an indication of which player is making his first all-star game appearance. And that, to me, is still a very strong indicator. Now, Brandon talked about the all-NBA implications which like the numbers are what they are in terms of like how often those guys have hit. I think it, that's probably one that the voters will still probably flex on. Like if a guy's not all NBA, I don't think that they're going to be like, ah, he can't win all NBA because he's, or he can't win most improved because he's not all NBA. Yeah. It's more just the guys that have made such a leap to be most improved have been guys that are on all NBA list because that's how good they got. Yeah. So there's also no indication of all NBA ballots until the end of the season. So there's no right. real way for us to act on that. What I will right. say, I, I, I think the clarity thing there is it, it's not that they've got to make all NBA to have one most improved. It's that they need to have improved enough to be considered a clear top 15 to 25 type player, mm-hmm. not a top 40 player. Yeah. Like it's, it's that slight distinction there. It's not the guy who's going to be like, look, when we get to the the uh, NBA, when we get to the draft, when LeBron and Kevin Durant are choosing which guys to have on their all-star teams, you can't have the guy that's going to be on the board with five guys left. Like whoever that guy is that year, Jared Allen, you can't have Jared Allen. He's not winning this award. He's not going to be in this conversation. You need to have someone in the conversation. Um, so I think tracking those all-star awards, the first time those awards that, that the ballots come, because you're not going to see enough, like there's not gonna be like a late push. I don't think between the first and second ballot returns, that's going to indicate it. That first ballot return. And like, we'll be, you can just listen to buckets and rate review and subscribe. Um, but we will talk about immediately like, okay, who's the guy that did not make all an all-star team last year. Who's on it this year. and if there's not one that's going to present an interesting question for us, because there are some <laughs> guys that I think will be uh, it's possible that that happens. And if that's the case, then we'll have to rework around the other existing kind of guidelines yeah. that we have. I will tell you that by all-star, a lot of your value is going to be gone by yeah. March, March 1st. It's over. Like jaw was, was a heavy minus number by the end. Of, now there was a lot of push late in the season with how jaw got hurt and, and various things and how much the Grizzlies themselves were like, why is job being considered for most improved? It should be Desmond Bain, which honestly is probably fair. If you think about like what actually is most improved, et cetera. So like there was some push there, but in general, 
if you want to get value on this award, I'm not saying you have to get in early because I don't think you want to bet this in November. I don't think you want to bet this before even Christmas. I think you want to wait till the all-star returns, see who's at that point, who's what the narrative is, find a position two weeks into the season, see how that one matures, and then go heavier. If you're going to do in-season betting, I think the best time to do it is after those first set of all-star returns, which is not to say that I'm saying like, oh, this guy was not an all-star last year, and now he's an all-star. Bet him. we got to find context here. Is he hitting the, yeah. the points? Is the team going to make the playoffs? That's a big one because if that team sucks. It's based off of the history. It's very unlikely that that guy's going to make is going to win most improved. Yeah. So yeah, I, I would say the only thing I would add on timing, and this is just going to be the difference between you and I as betters. You're looking to like, you're building your portfolio and kind of zeroing in on, I'm going to make sure I've got the winning candidate. My portfolios, I, I just lose all the bets in my portfolio for particular awards. Sometimes like I'm going to have my three, four five guys, and if I missed on the guy and now it's too late, I just missed and I'm, I'm just going to leave it alone. But because of that, the, up, the flip side of that is I'm looking for the bigger number. And that means I have to get in a little bit earlier than you. So I'm going to look to play preseason where I can get some of these, like you said, sprinkle around and, and build my portfolio now with a few of the longer shots. For me, I think the sweet spot of where I want to get in, if for me, it's before those all-star returns. I'm looking to play, I think, in December because usually by then we've effectively kind of narrowed the field to maybe four or five guys here. But usually in that first four to six weeks, the guy leading the race is that, the, you know, that year's Jeremy Grant, that year's Miles Bridges. It's the guy who came totally off the radar and is suddenly looking really good. And I think that that person, whoever it is, knowing the leap we need to get here, is buying just enough time and distracting the odds just long enough that like, you know, my John Morant ticket that I got at 33 to one preseason, that was gone within a week or two, you know, like that disappeared immediately, but maybe it was still there at like a 12 to one, a couple weeks into the year. And maybe it was still an eight to one in December. I don't remember what it was, but the other, as the field starts to narrow, you can find, okay, of these five guys, I'm looking at now which one or two do I want to hitch my wagon to before the number gets away from me so I'm going to bet a little earlier but I think we're on the same page overall yeah I, I think the only thing is you can you can be watching and be like oh this guy's definitely going to be in consider like he's going to get all-star votes and then you get there and you're like oh that that so what I like about the all-star thing is it validates your thinking like it validates whether or not yeah. it's a it's a proof against bias because you know like I think Miles Bridges is, it, it, although now, oof, thank God that he didn't win. Um, but yeah. Miles Bridges last year was genuinely like that was a, that that was a player that would have been. I probably would have been like, you know, he should probably be in consideration for All Star. That's how good he's been. And no, so I, yeah. I think that there's stuff to consider there. All right, so uh, you don't your your betting situation is a little interesting. So why don't you go ahead and talk about the uh, the bets that you are gonna make? Yeah. And the ones that are on your board. Yeah, normally on these awards, normally I have like one or two guys that I kind of really zero in on that really check off all my boxes. And there just, there isn't that this year. Last year I was big on OG Ananobi. Didn't work out for me. Never really hit a stride, but John Moran was the other one and that one hit. But just getting, latching on a couple guys, I don't really have that here. So I've got more of the portfolio type, a little bit more sprinkling. One guy I would not have expected really to be on my radar, but surprised me when I was doing the research. 
Like I'm going through, I go through every single team and I look, okay, give me at least one candidate from every team. Who can it be? And I just start to narrow the field. Darren Fox for the Sacramento Kings. Now, the weird thing about him is he's been in the mix for this award a little bit, and he's been in all-star contention for a few years, but hasn't made it yet. And my first instinct was, well, certainly not Darren Fox. They've got Damana Sabonis now, and he's going to probably have even less numbers, and he regressed last year, all of which, well, the, the regression part was true. Didn't regress as much as I thought. He still is at 23 points a game. Here's the thing that surprised me and why I want to bet this a little bit is before the Sabonis trade last year, obviously that means Halliburton out, Sabonis in, but he healed out too. It's a lot more shots suddenly that were available, even though Sabonis is handling more. We care about points more than assists. Before the trade, Fox was at 21 points, five assists a game. With Sabonis, after the trade, 28.9 points a game for Darren Fox, plus almost seven assists a game. So it actually went up at both, but t- almost 29 points a game for Fox. My hesitation here is a couple of things. He doesn't fit my rules perfectly. Number one, he's already at 23 points a game. So if I want to get that 50% scoring boost I talked about, not going to happen. But I could get a John Morant type leap. That's what you're looking for here is, can he get to that 29-ish points a game for a whole season? Could he make an all-star game? Absolutely. Could he get some all-NBA votes? I, I think certainly if he makes that leap. The key is, is Sacramento going to make the playoffs? And I don't like them to make the playoffs personally, but De'Aaron Fox is 120 to 1 to win this award. And to me, that number is just way too long. I think he should be one of those like in the 30s range. And I think this is a perfect way for me to kind of hedge my position on, I'm not in on Sacramento, but yeah, I can play Fox. If Sacramento is good, I think Darren Fox is in the mix for this one. What do you think? He got votes in 2019 for most improved player, which was long, long, long ago, long ago. And he's already, he's going to be 25 by the time that the voting is over. Doesn't it rule him out based off of the, off of our guidelines. And I don't think it's going to, the voters will be like, no way. I can't argue with the idea because it's like, okay, hey, the Kings are actually pretty good because they've done everything possible to make the playoffs this year. Like they've made a whole bunch of pretty dumb decisions just to be like, we're going to make the playoffs. No matter what, we're breaking the streak. (laughs) We're going to be like a decent team, which is like, okay, congratulations. You're 41, you're 42 and 40. Great job. You're going to get waxed by the Suns in the first round. Good job. (laughs) Um, I can't picture Fox being a storyline. So the jump in production, it seems difficult because what we're arguing here, I know you're basing it off of the last season. So you're like, okay, you also have Keegan Murray who they are so high on and is going to get a little, some of the possessions and Davion Mitchell is probably gonna take another step forward. So I'm trying to imagine a situation where we're like De'Aaron Fox made the jump. And the Kings are a playoff team. I can see the production getting there because they're going to play so fast. Or they should. We'll see what Mike it, does. If he, if he gets to that number, it, it's got to get the number. Because if the point leap doesn't happen, it's DOA. Yeah. If he gets to 29-ish points a game and the Kings are in the playoffs, Darren Fox is among the top five leading scorers in the NBA. Is that not enough of the storyline there? Because I, I hear what you're saying. Everyone loves Keegan Murray. 
that of the other guys. The Kings are back in the playoffs. There's already a story on its own. Can Fox get to be the story if he gets to in contention for scoring leader? Let's, let's remove Jaw. Can Fox have a season that's as good as Ingram in 2019 or or Randall in 2000? And, or I'm sorry, Ingram in 20 and yeah. Randall in 2021. I don't think so. Hmm. I don't think he can have that good of a season. I think he can ever. I like Darren Fox. I like him, but I don't think he can have that good of a season considering like, I mean, just on, on a very base level, when we're looking at the, at the, if we're trying to figure out how this is going to work um, for his career, he's a 32% three point shooter who shot 29.7% last year. The guys that have won this award the last three seasons have actually had outlier good three point seasons. Yeah. An outlier good season for De'Aaron Fox is like 33%. But look, you've hit you've hit these before. So if you're listening and and his case makes sense to you, I can't <laughs> I'm not gonna sit here and tell you like I hate this bet. This is dumb. Because you've been really good about being able to predict these things. I can see it. He just doesn't especially from the idea yeah. of the narrative impact on the vote. Yeah. Which I, I'm always I'm hesitant to use that narrative word. I think it gets overused with this voter block. But I think you need to be the story of the NBA yeah. that season, or one of the main stories of the NBA that season. Like Randall was one of the stories. Jaw was one of the stories. I can't see any scenario where De'Aaron Fox is one of the stories of the NBA this season. He'll be like, that's fair. 15 times. All right. Who else you got? Yeah. And just just to add to that is when I say he's 120 to one, but should be 30 to one here in that statement. If I say you should be 30 to one, I am telling you, you should have like a 3% chance to win this award. This number is giving you an under a 1%. So there's a lot of value there, but the value is still very likely going to lose because you're still only at 3% to win. If your That's my second favorite bet. If, if your book doesn't offer cash outs, definitely do not take this one. Yeah, I, I, I'm not with you on that. I think he actually could win. The, okay. These are my non-cash out. These are my actual guys can win. That's my second favorite. My favorite bet on the board the one guy that really checks my boxes, assuming he actually plays this year, Michael Porter Jr. He is 24 years old. He is officially year four because of the missed time. Really, he's year three because he only played nine games last year. Michael Porter Jr., before he basically had a lost season last year, we forget now, but there was this big breakout that happened the end of the prior season. Jamal Murray went out injured. We haven't seen him back yet still. But in 20 games after the Jamal Murray injury in the end of 2021 season, Porter was at 24.6 points a game, seven rebounds, three and a half three-pointers a game at 45%. Like he became this absolute lethal weapon, second scorer, his shooting splits were 56%, 45%, 85%. He was almost a steal and a block per game. Those are the sort of numbers that make you a star, the sort of star Denver paid up for with the contract they gave him. If Michael Porter makes a leap, I absolutely, we, we both certainly expect Denver to be in the playoff picture very easily. So, and I, I think we both expect them to contend maybe for the one seed. Michael Porter Jr., 36 to one. Last year at this time, he was among the favorites. He basically just got hurt and missed out on the season. We're getting him instead of what he was like 12 to 1 last year, we're getting the exact same bet at 36 to 1. We just get three times the number because people forgot about him. 
Michael Porter Jr. is the one guy I have that checks every single one of my boxes. It's an interesting question here because we haven't seen a player miss a season because of injury, come back, and win most improved. They got rid of the comeback award, and we haven't seen a player do this before. So it's yeah. a question of, does that help him or does that hurt him? Because if you look at it, one of the things that if you're a discerning voter is you would probably go like, look, he was supposed to start last year. And he got hurt. Like he was supposed to start and get all these minutes last year. So like, what's the, and that was, so basically we're judging him off of the jump from two years ago where I will note he fits our categories, not only from a scoring perspective, but all that stuff I talked about with field goal attempts and usage. I, I pulled that data on basketball reference and sorted by offensive box plus minus. Guess who the number one (laughs) name was Michael Porter, Michael Porter Jr. (laughs) 4.0. Like, he is obviously, and he's so talented, and he's so good. Here's what I'll tell you from being a guy that covers Denver very closely. There's a lot of mouths to feed on this Nuggets team. On purpose, they built a better roster. Usage is not going to be necessarily as delimited and narrowed as it was intended to be last season. MPJ gets hurt in preseason. That's what we found out later. It was like he got hurt in a game versus the Warriors. It was bothering him. And they were like, okay, we'll keep an eye on it. And then he tweaks it in a regular season game versus I think the Rockets. Goes up for a dunk, misses, comes back down and starts grabbing his hip. Okay, out. Back surgery again. Disaster. He worked his ass off to get back. The kid loves basketball. He wants to be great. He genuinely wants to be great. He worked his ass off to come back and was on pace to return in April. And then he had a setback. So he goes through this entire process and then he has a set. That's a concern. Uh, I would tell you that if he catches COVID, his absence will be longer than some other folks. If you catch my drift, (laughs) some people will have longer quarantine times than or shorter quarantine times than he will because of choices that he's made. Um, And then the, the final thing is just. Jamal Murray's back. He's going to take usage. Bruce Brown is going to take usage. Not a lot, not as much as MPJ, but he's going to take usage. KCP is going to take usage. Aaron Gordon is going to take usage. Bones Highland is going to take usage. And then obviously there's Nikola Jokic. That's just like a lot of mouths to feed to get to that field goal range that we're talking about here based off of the standard of who's won the award in the last 10 seasons trying to get to 15.8 shots per game i i think that that's a lot to ask look this is a player that could somebody asked me two years ago who the next all-star in the nuggets would be besides Jokic, and i said it would be mpj that's how talented he is he's a 6 10 50 40 90 shooter <laughs> yeah he's unreal offensively and so I think there's absolutely value at, uh, on this at 36 to one. I will probably add this one at a small unit play, but I do think it's not like, I don't mind this being your number one play on the board. Like I'm not like that should be your number one play in the book. Like, yeah, that makes sense. Um, but it's not without like all no. these guys. Cause you said like, there's not an obvious candidate. Sure. Th- this one, like all of them is, is not without risk. Yeah. So, so those are my main two guys. I'll, I'll add a couple later on, but I want to hear some of your top portfolio guys. All right, so let's talk about Ant. Yeah. Who's the favorite at 10 to 1. We still get 10 to 1 on him, which I think is good value. The problem was when I went through this entire exercise and I was looking at, like, I do all this work to be like, all right, I'm going to look at, like, who actually had the usage and, and all these types of things and what the jumps are. 
Well, guess what the first problem really is right off the bat is that Anthony Edwards last year shot 17.3 shots per game, well above our standards for what we've seen. Um, That's two shots more almost than the maximum for any player to have won in the prior season. This is the biggest problem with Anthony Edwards uh, that he basically was so good last year. Now I do think that that sets him up because jaw kind of did the same thing. But when I looked at it, jaw just didn't shoot that much the year before I was surprised. I would have thought that I, I was shocked when I found out that Anthony Edwards shot more per game than jaw Morant did the year before, but jaw only shot 15.2. So Ant last year shot 2.1 more shots per game than Ja did the year before he won most improved player. So the problem here is like I talked about earlier, it's that bar of going from, okay, we're talking about if we, if we apply the same average jump on these guys of 4.8, we're talking about Ant going from from 17.3 to 21.7 shots per game. 21.7, which would be the most of any player in the last 10 years by a shot, by a full field goal attempt per game. And that's with the addition of Rudy Gay, or not Rudy Gay, Rudy Gobert. So how, I, that was like, oh, damn it. I was, I'd already yeah. bet Ant at 10 to 1. So I have a ticket on Ant to win 10 to 1 because from a narrative perspective and from how I thought about it from the awards perspective, if we talk about who do I expect to be a first-time All-Star and get All-NBA consideration, Anthony Edwards is the first name on my list. I think there's a very good chance that he looks like the best player on the Wolves, like he did in the playoffs. I think there's a very good chance that the Wolves are a top five seed. I think there's a very, very good chance that Ant can have the kind of season where we're talking about him the way we talked about Ingram and Randall and Ja, where maybe not MVP candidate, but like fringe, very end of it. Like, hey, look, the Wolves are a top two seed in the West and Anthony Edwards is their best player and yeah. he's averaging 25 per game. And he's a good defender. Maybe he should be most improved player, right? So I do still think that there's value on Ant. I don't think it's a bad bet. I just don't like it as much as I did when I made the bet. The path that you just laid out, that's the path. That is the way that Anthony Edwards is. That's the way for this award to not be a race to talk about. That like a month into the year, we're like, oh yeah, it's Ant. Like this this is the award. It's over. We know what's happening. My contention is this, like we're, we view Minnesota differently, so we're not getting into that. But what I would say is this, I don't think most improved player is the right way to bet that ant leap if that's what you think happens. Because MVP. if like the path you laid out is, is really, that's the only path. That is the only way that ant wins this award. It has to be because he's already been so good and taken so many shots, the leap he needs to catch the attention has to be that good. He needs the John Morant leap to like second team all NBA, 29 points a game. Like he needs to be that good. And we already know Carl Anthony Towns and Rudy Gobert are fringe all NBA or better. Maybe they're just all NBA. So if Ant really is that good and is the number one guy on the Timberwolves and you've got two other all NBA guys, Anthony Edwards, 120 to one MVP is the bet that you should be playing not 10 to one most improved or, or Minnesota futures or Minnesota one seed. Like if Edwards really is this good, then I don't think playing a 10 to one as a favorite value is the right way to play it. I think that you've got to say, okay, well, if he's that good and we know what the rest of the team is already, 
you can play other better numbers in other ways to to play Minnesota. So uh, that for me is the reason I wouldn't play it. Here's a good example to counter counter you. One of the arguments against Jaw last year was the record of the Grizzlies without him, right? So a key consideration in his MVP candidacy, which he wasn't going to win anyway because of what Jokic did and Embiid, but still, I would say that there was a delineate, there was a different differentiation that was built about Jaw's production versus his impact on winning. Like Jaw's been amazing, but he's not the reason that the Grizzlies win. That's a consideration for MVP. The reason the Sixers win is is Joel Embiid. The reason the Nuggets win is Nikola Jokic. The reason the Mavericks win is Luka Doncic. People are not going to look at, at the Wolves and go, the reason the Wolves win is Anthony Edwards. He's having an amazing season, but that's not why they're winning. Like, he's not the no. reason why they're winning. Yeah, that's, and that's fair. Why, and that's, look, the last two, the last, I, I'll, if we're going to use the priors here and we're going to talk about all NBA, Julius Randle got MVP votes. Brent and John Morant got got MVP consideration. Yeah. Like these guys were on the list. So if you're like, well, he's got he's got value for MVP, but the gap between being in consideration for MVP and being yeah. a winner is so wide. Yeah, we, and we, we don't we don't emphasize that enough. It's like we we call the the guy that's going to finish third, fourth, fifth. We call them in contention for the award, but it's 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 not the same. Not. I would say this, if you like the idea of Anthony Edwards, recent high draft pick, already a star type player, could make another leap. Here's my quick sell to you. Discount Anthony Edwards for most improved. LaMelo Ball is 30 to 1. And I know you absolutely are going to hate this pick, but Miles Bridges is not on the team. There's going to be a lot more points and usage to go around. He's already basically 27-7. He did make an all-star team. That's not perfect. But could he get the Trey Young leap? Could he get to like 28 and nine and just suddenly look like this clear all NBA guy at 30 to one? I'd rather take that bet. The bar is a little lower. LaMelo's not as good as Ant right now by the numbers. And there's more shots to go around there. I'd rather make the 30 to one LaMelo than the 10 to one Ant. 16.7 shots per game last year for LaMelo. He also is outside the boundaries of her highest qualifier. He did. He already made an all-star. He's already, right. he's, he's already outside the boundaries of our thing. And we talked about how these aren't hard rules, but that was a big reason. So we have those two. And then we have, do you think the Hornets are making the playoffs? I mean, if he has that season, then I think they make the playoffs. The bottom of the East, like to, to get into in the seven, eight, nine sort of range. Like I'm not making that bet. I would just rather make the little mellow bet than the ant bet. Let's let's put ant and mellow in the same category, which is you'll probably still find value on them after the first two months weeks of the season because the books can't move their odds fast enough. Doesn't that make sense? Yeah, except that I think that's the difference here is that the ant number is already pretty short. Like the Lamello number, if if Lamello suddenly comes out and puts up like 30 points again the first couple of weeks, he's gonna go from 30 down to the the ant 10 number. So uh, if you want, if you want a piece of it, I think that's when you'd have to get right away. But I basically, I think that we're saying that neither one of these fits the criteria. Great to be a bat. So who else is on your list that you do like? No, I want to talk about this a little bit more because I, okay. okay. I, I know we're running long, but it's fine. Ty said we were fine. So my my issue here is you tell you sometimes view this where you're like, but you're going to go from like thirty to one to ten to one. Yeah, you'd rather have the thirty to one. But the, the question is whether the number is is EV versus your expectation percentage chance he wins. Like, yeah. 
like I get the, and I, I understand because a lot of smart bettors make this argument like over the long run, you always have to get the like bet, getting the better number is so important. I'll also say this. He may go from 30 to one to 10 to one at FanDuel, but there may be a 15 to one. 20. This number we saw a number of these numbers, especially for most improved all over the place. So you might find a 20 to one at Bet Rivers. You may find a 20 to one at, uh, you know, SI Sportsbook or whatever. Like. You'll find these numbers hanging out there that I think you, you could still bet. Like Mello is going to have to prove it to me. I hated his season last year. I watched a fair amount of Hornets games trying to understand why that team was better than I thought it was. And it was like, there's a lot of reasons they were better than I thought they were going to be, but it wasn't like my bias against them for losing my underbet on them. I was ready to be like, Oh, they must be really good. And then I watched the mellow. I was like, this is, this is, this is a mess. This is just a mess. And for him to have made the all-star team was a little bit of a joke. And so I, I, I have a hard time again, I could see like LaMelo having big performances early on, but sustaining that throughout the year is a like that to me is a real question here. Um, Ant at least doesn't have the all-star previous appearance. Um, and Ant, I think, is going to play for a much better team. So that's my argument for Ant. My favorite bet on the board that I came to after looking at all this is Tyrese Maxey 30 to 1. With Maxey, I genuinely think there's a good chance that James Harden shifts even more into point guard role and that Tyrese Maxey is the beneficiary. The playoffs sometimes are a harbinger of what we're going to see from a team, and the model that they brought to the table in the playoffs was Harden is going to draw guys with pick-and-roll play and his ability to distribute, and Tyrese Maxey is going to kill you by making cuts, catching the ball on the, on the move, and scoring, and being the primary ball handler when Harden's off the court. So I think the Sixers are going to be awesome. You and I basically agree on the Sixers. Spoiler for when we do divisions and... <laughs> And win totals, but we have very different ways of assessing how that's going to impact their awards candidacy for various guys. You like uh, Joel Embiid for Defensive Player of the Year. I hate that. I think that's a. I just there's. I do not think there is there's any way Joel wins DPOY. Uh, I think there is a very good chance that Tyrese Maxey wins this award. He he qualifies under both categories for the previous season usage and field goal attempts. I can see the improve the increase coming given his improvement as a player. I could see Harden resting a fair amount of games, which gives him a usage bump in those games. Uh, and they're going to have the team success. And if they're so good, if the Sixers are the best team in the Eastern Conference next year at All Star, there's going to be a little bit of like, well, look, Harden's only averaging like you know 15 or whatever, and he's been good. Tyrese Maxey's been better and Tyrese Maxey actually getting an all-star bump. Is he going to be an all NBA candidate? That one's tougher for me to, to kind of get to, but I think all-star plus looking like if there's an, if the people are actually like, you know who I actually think might be the second best player in the Sixers. It's not hard. And it's actually Maxey. That's a narrative. I can see that's enough to get, no. I think there's value on Tyrese Maxey to win most improved at 30 to one. Yeah, the narrative is there, and I think it has to be that narrative. It has to be the, is he actually the second star on this team ahead of James Harden? And I think part of why I like the Sixers this year is because I'm not ready to leave Harden for dead. Like, James Harden has been all-world everything and then just took a couple years off. So I, I'm not ready to – I love Tyrese Maxey. Like, he's he's been my guy since Kentucky. I'm not ready to put him ahead of James Harden or even in that conversation. I love Tyrese Maxey to win this award in the version of the team that still has Ben Simmons and not James Harden. So I, 
I, he's a bullseye. He fits the the age, the leap, the talent. All of it is there. I get the narrative. My concern is he already played 35 minutes a game last year. He already scored over 17 points a game last year. He's probably going to play fewer minutes just because 35 is a lot. And he's almost certainly going to have less usage because now James Harden is there for more than he was last year. So if I get a guy who I think is going to have less minutes, less usage, no matter how much I like him, I have a hard time getting there to the most improved criteria. For me, what I want is I want a Tobias Harris trade. If Tobias goes and that frees up some of those extra shots, then I think Maxie's probably my favorite. So I, I, uh, he's going to play for me for sure. I think you're overlooking what the priority for the team is going to be. Like that's going to play a role in this, which is like, Maury and Rivers are both going to be like, we need to give have Maxie more involved. Like Maxie's proven, like he made that leap, he's put in the work. Maxie needs to be a bigger part of the team. If that means Tobias takes fewer shots, Tobias Harris is not going to make us think about it. He's not going to make a fuss about it. He's going to be like, all right, okay. Like they have lower usage guys, I think, on roster now in some in some ways. And so I think that even with Harden, and I do think that maybe there's an evolution of Harden coming where he's more of a point guard and less of uh, James Harden. And if that's the case, I still think there's an opportunity for an even bigger jump from Tyrese Maxey this season. All right, so that's two of mine. Give me some more of your best. Yeah, let let me uh, me comment while we're on the Tyrese's here. Let me just comment quickly on Tyrese Halliburton because I know that's a very popular name. I think he's probably like second, third, fourth in a lot of betting odds at places. Halliburton fits my my uh, rules pretty well. He's age 22. He's year three. He's obviously going to be on a team where he gets a big jump in usage. I don't love the bet because I don't see Tyrese Halliburton on a winning team. I don't have any chance of a winning team. The Pacers are going to be bad this year. They're not going to be good at all. And so he's not going to be in the mix there. And if you're a bad team, does Halliburton even get all-star consideration? I'm not sure that he does necessarily, even with the leap. Last year, he was at 15 and eight. He went to 17 and a half and nine and a half in, in, in with the Pacers, which is nice. It's an improvement. I don't think it's enough. I don't think he has any chance at all NBA. The criteria for what a player looks like, good, but it needs to be a different version of the Pacers. So that's why I, I'm not quite there. I'd rather, of the Tyrese's, I'd rather take Maxi just on the longer odds there. Uh, one guy that I will bet if the season gets there and the teams are what they are right now, my favorite and the one guy I will be all in on is Jalen Brunson. But it has to be without the Donovan Mitchell trade. If the current version of the Knicks stay as they are, Jalen Brunson, 18 to one, I think is a perfect fit. He's going from 16 and five to Tibbs ball. He's going to play like 7,000 minutes a game. Cause that's what you do when you play for Tibbs in New York. There's going to be plenty of usage to go around. We saw the jump already in the playoffs. There's already some pre-built narrative there. We already know a New York player is going to get some attention. I think all of that makes sense. So you can't bet it yet because you have to wait until you know for sure Donovan Mitchell is not going there. But that's the one. He's my MIP in waiting if the next stay as they are. And then let me give you just two other quick names. One name, Jamal Murray. I'm curious what you think about Jamal Murray because you're shaking your head. No, Jamal Murray's never made an all-star team. Mm -hmm. So he's never had quite that leap that we give him credit for. He kind of fits that John Morant type to me. And it, for me, it would be just a small hedge 
uh, kind of against my Michael Porter Jr. a play of what if MPJ just gets hurt again and then Jamal has to do a little more and takes that John Morant type leap? Do you think there's just no shot at that one, even at 100 to 1? The plan right now is for Jamal Murray not to play more than 25 minutes per game until Christmas. All right. Well, that, that, that's going to be a no-go then. So, <laughs> uh, All right. They have to be very careful with, with Jamal off of this injury. It was really difficult for him to get back. Uh, that's why he wasn't able to return the season, which I had thought from for very good reasons based off of conversations that was going to happen. He's in great shape. Been a year and a half since he played basketball. And they have to be careful with him on back-to-backs. He won't play back-to-backs. He'll be on 25 minutes. They need him ready for May. That's when they need to yeah, that's fair. Murray ready. Um, also, the history of players coming back from uh, knee surgery of any type suggests that there is a field goal percentage efficiency drop. This is based off of actual studies that have been conducted. Field goal percentage efficiency drop for the first uh, 12 months of basketball of, of professional basketball play. So. Um, it's a good idea. It'd be a nice story, but I do not think that that's, yeah. that's, that's when I will say that's not a bet worth making. Yeah. That's, that's, it's, it's probably me getting a little too excited about the narrative. Everyone loves Jamal Murray. Yeah, so the, the scenario where he has that breakout, everyone would just be dying to give him an award for something, but you're right. It's probably not it. My last one distinctly flies in the face of a rule that we talked about, because I'm betting on a sophomore, but I, this is me trying to get ahead of where, the evolution of the award seems to be trending and betting a sophomore, but he's a recent top three pick going back to the Cleveland Cavaliers. Well, you Evan are Mobley, you are 45 to one. You are yep. sick with Cavs fever. Like, I, I you are. It, like, I I'm, I'm worried about you about how much money you're <laughs> going to have on the Cavs in various ways. Like I, I just, uh, to Evan Mobley, the way that he looked last year. And I, I understand what I'm saying. He looked like young Tim Duncan. That that's the sort of player that it looked like early on with the defense that he had and just kind of the steady offense. The Cavs need a little more offense. He's at 15 and eight last year. We're looking at, could he get to like a 22 and 10? I think that's possible. There's some shooting there that he's starting to develop. He can handle a bit more. There's plenty of shots to go around with the Cavs because it's basically Garland and whatever else they can do there. If the Cavs are as good as I expect and they're a top three sort of seed in the East, He's a year early from what my usual rules would be, but this is partly betting on, hey, we love rewarding these high picks recently, much to my chagrin, and it's partly just betting on the player. This is the guy that was my number one pick last year in the draft, and I just believe in him and haven't seen anything to push me otherwise. So probably like a half unit play here, but 45 to one, give me some more Cavs fever. Okay. He's a sophomore. That's a no. Is Evan Mobley going to be an all-star? I think he absolutely could be. I, I, w- I would say this. Is, if Evan Mobley has the season and the Cavs have the season I expect, then I would expect Evan Mobley to be a solid all-NBA player. That's both, probably why I'm actually making the bet. Both of like I love Evan Mobley as much as you. I do. Like We were both in the same place on how good he is as a player. But Brandon, like talking to Cavs fans last year, he was the third best player on the team. How does he go from that to the best player on the team when Darius Garland was an all-star last year and Jared Allen? On top of that, Colin Sexton returns. And guess what Colin Sexton's going to want to do? Shoot Shoot the the ball ball. and make some money. (laughs) He's going to want to shoot the ball. He's going to be pissed off about this whatever contract he's going to get, which may be a short-term one. And he's going to wind up wanting to shoot. So that's usage there. There's the risk of the Cavs collapse. If you're wrong, 
that last year was like the start of like, this is a real thing. And it was just like, no, they played good defense for a year, but their offense was terrible. And then their defense got worse because they're a young team and the bottom fell out, which I think is very possible given like Darius Garland being the level player he was and Jared Allen and uh, Evan playing a three big lineup with Laurie. Like I like I get the Cavs stuff, but there is risk here with like sure. this. And I get that that's why you're taking the long numbers on him. There is no way I can see Evan Mobley being making a leap that is so high to outweigh all of the stuff we've talked about with priors. I cannot see it. I do not think he can make an all NBA. I do not think he can be like an MVP fringe candidate. I do not think that um, I only think he's going to get the usage to put up the numbers he needs to. There's just no indication that he's going to get enough touches to do that like are they going to be in, are, are the Cavs going into the season being like we have to give Evan Mobley five more shots a game I think Evan Mobley is going to demand it by how good he is I think that if the version of Evan Mobley that I'm talking about is the version that we get to the end of the regular season Cavs are a two three four seed and Evan Mobley is definitively their best player and I know how good Darius Garland is I'm saying Evan Mobley makes that much of a leap that he has established himself. Look, I called him, compared him to Tim Duncan. Like he's establishing himself as that guy. And that's, that's the bet that this would be. Um, two more from me. Keldon Johnson, 30 to one. Somebody suggested this in Twitter and I was, I laughed at it. And then I looked up all the numbers and he actually qualifies. Here's the idea on this one. Look, Keldon would be an outlier in terms of, he's not going to be, uh, he's not going to be all NBA. Neither's Evan Mobley, but he's not going to be all NBA. He's not going to be an all-star. Um, if you think the Spurs are going to be better than people expect, which I don't, I do not, but if I'm wrong and the Spurs are better than I, than I expect, and they're even a play in tournament team, Kelvin Johnson fits the profile of a guy that's going to get the usage jump, had the stuff prior, had the efficiency prior is a guy that will, will make names as like, wow, Kelvin Johnson was like a nobody. And now he's like the best player on the Spurs. All of that stuff kind of fits at 30 to one. I think there's some value there. Um, my other names are Anthony Simons at 36 to one. It's a little bit surprising me that this is so low. I think there's a decent chance Simon starts. They just gave him a shit ton of money. And Simon spits the category from last year of how many points he made. He was averaging like he was putting up 40 burgers last season in the when the Blazers were taking their faces off. Uh, they're going to try and win this year. Their defense is going to be horrible, but this doesn't have anything to do with this award. And so I think Simons can make that jump and put up those numbers. Do I think that Simons could be an all star? Maybe like a last minute replacement. So like he technically qualifies as like an all-star. That one's a little bit tougher for me to get around, but the numbers are there for me to think Anthony Simons is going to be in that discussion. And my last one, uh, I actually have a long shot that is longer than some of yours. Colin, Sexton, Colin Sexton at 80 to one. So instead of thinking that Evan Mobley is, is going to turn into Kevin Garnett, um, Colin Sexton motivated coming off of injury actually fits the statistical requirements from the last season that he was fully healthy. Good Cavs team. If the Cavs are as good as Brandon says, but Sexton makes this jump and it's like, oh, well, Darius Garland was so good, but now Colin Sexton is like another all-star. Sexton was on pace to be like, was thought of as like the better player for a while. I like Darius Garland's game a lot better, but Colin's going to shoot a lot. So I think there's some value at Colin Sexton at 80 to one based off of the categories that we've laid out. Yeah, I, I like all three of those guys. Those are probably three of my maybe top 10 to 15 bets. And I know that kind of sounds ludicrous and like a backhanded compliment, but this is an open field. And this yeah. is this is an award where I literally legitimately ranked 70 guys to get to this list. So being 
top 10 or 15 out of the 400 or whatever players we've got. And I would say even Keldon Johnson, I want to talk about him especially. If you're a cash out player, Keldon Johnson is probably my number one pick on the board. Keldon Johnson to me is this year's Jeremy Grant, this year's Miles Bridges. He's the guy, like the Spurs lost all the usage. There's nothing left in San Antonio. He absolutely is the guy that we're going to get a month into the year and be like, holy crap, Keldon Johnson's putting up 23 and eight. Yeah, because somebody has to shoot the ball and it's him. So I I don't think he has any real chance to win because the Spurs are going to be bad. I'm with you on that. But if you're a cash out player, you're going to get that 30 to one, I think down to 10 to one or shorter. Just make sure that you don't trick yourself out of it and be like, well, maybe he'll win now. No, he's he's not going to win. Cash your bet out, take your money. I like all three of those picks, though. I think they're very much in the mix. You have some other names on your list that I think are uh, interesting. <laughs> Is there any other, the other ones you want to throw out there just as like, so we have it on record in case they win? Yeah, well, Cole Anthony is another one that I would have put in the the Keldon Johnson mix. As I thought about, okay, where is there a team that we're just dying for somebody to step into the gap? Cole Anthony, among Magic guards, the Magic guards just were terrible last year. So if if, if it's not Cole, Markel Fultz is on my list. Jalen Suggs is on my list, despite being a sophomore. If somebody there steps into the void of just, please, God, give us a competent guard for an NBA team, Anthony, you know, I, I do like a one-month all-star team, and Anthony was in my mix last year. He started out really well and then tailed off. So, again, I don't think you're going to win because the Magic, I don't think, are a playoff team, but 100-to-1. Um, if you you want to get, if you're a cash-out player especially, you want to get a Magic or a Spurs player, I think. Uh, let me look at my list. Lonnie Walker, 120-to-1, solely as a cash-out play just because I had him and Kalen Hortucker on the list of just like one of those guys, if the if the makeup of the team stays as is, this is without a Kyrie Irving trade, one of those guys is going to get opportunity because they have to, because the Lakers don't have guys and somebody has a moment for a couple of weeks and you cash out there. One other guy, I guess I'll mention here, another magic guy, Wendell Carter Jr. I know you like him a lot. He got a lot better. He was at 15 and 10 last year, but February 4th, he was at 19 points a game almost and 11 rebounds. Next Apollo, he's not going to get a huge boost in shots. So I think that's the problem. But uh, I think that he's a good candidate. I have uh, I have one more to, to do before we get out of here. Who you got? Former number two pick, Marvin Bagley. Ah, yeah, so, interesting. So look, I think the problem is Ivy's going to take minute, he's going to take a usage up. Because he's a bigger part of their team. But if you think the Pistons are going to be better than expected, which, again, spoiler alert, I think I probably am going to be leaning in that direction. Um, Bagley could be a guy that makes a jump. He averaged 11 shots per game last year with Detroit, averaging 14.6 per game. Like, this is very ripe for, okay, he makes a jump from 11.1 to 15 per game. And that jump is enough to get him up to you know 20 per game and now he's in that conversation oh detroit's like you know a fringe playoff team and it, I, it would be shocking because it would mean that Cade's not the best player on the team that's the hold up but if we base it off of the former number two picks in a low spot <laughs> marvin bagley's jaw wasn't in a low spot but former number two picks i think yeah. maybe bagley might have a little bit of consideration as a long shot yeah 
I'll give you a little Marvin Bagley sprinkle. He, he was on my list, but he, uh, he finished down around like 50th on my list or something. So <laughs> we we're, were on a lot of names now. It, uh, a couple other cash out names, if you want, not going to win. Trey Jones, San Antonio. They need a point guard. Someone has to play. He's 240 to one. If he plays, he started last year and actually put up surprisingly solid numbers. Cash out only. That's it. No, I, we got to stop this. I, no, no, no. We're going too long. Brand's got more names. He'll play out the list on Twitter. <laughs> when we get to this one, I can't I can't get into it. There's no way. Uh, not even as a cash out option. This has been Buckets brought to you by the Action Network. Thanks for joining us. Make sure to download the award-winning Action Network app. We'll be back later this week as we get ready for MVP and how to bet that one. Keep enjoying your summer. Have a great week. We'll see you guys again next time. Let's get Buckets.